From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shaped the real world. The Senate health care bill imploded July 28th amidst Republican infighting, leaving the congressional agenda in shreds. But we aren't quite done for the summer in Washington. New White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci is at war with White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus and pledging to fire his staff. Donald Trump, meanwhile, is annoying Republicans in Congress by raising the possibility he will not sign a new Russia sanctions bill and by ordering, in a tweet, the military to oust transgendered people in the armed forces. I'm Sean Zeller, and my guests today are John Bennett, our White House reporter, and John Donnelly, who covers defense for us. Welcome to both of you. So, John Bennett, the talk of Washington, apart from the demise of the health care bill, is Anthony Scaramucci's screed against White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus. What is going on? What is going on is quite, it, it's just a war within the West Wing, and let's not, let's not be naive here. I think what we have is to use new press secretary Sarah Sanders, her own term uh, from this week, we have a healthy competition, and I'll go ahead and and throw it out there. I think we have a competition for who's going to be the chief of staff, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe in a couple of weeks. I would not be surprised to see Anthony Scaramucci become the next chief of staff. He's talking about firing people, not just White House Communications Department folks. The president has deputized him to kind of clean out the leakers, as the president likes to call them. Um, and for whatever reason, they thought it was coming from the communication shop. Um, mine and other reporters who cover the White House every day find that a little hard to believe. Those folks really don't; they just don't know kind of the 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 kind of detail that that these leaks have had. So I think what's going on here is the president senses this is not going well. His presidency is not going well. He hasn't gotten much done domestically. Um, he is obsessed with with how the media covers him. He's obsessed with the Russia matter, the Russia scandal, and it really seems at some point, la- uh, at some point, you know, middle of of July, late July, the president decided enough was enough and decided to bring in Scaramucci, at least as the comms director. But he's got a lot more power already. He hasn't even started yet. His first day is going to be in the middle of August. If if the federal government approves the sale of his of Skybridge Capital, the company he founded, um, he can't he can't even start officially until that is approved. So you have you you have a, a, an incoming comms director at war with Rance Priebus, the chief of staff, at war with Priebus loyalists, and and he already reports directly to the president. This is this is a huge break from past White House organization structures. Scaramucci is essentially the chief of staff in in a lot of ways already. And the way I read this, the, the very long answer to your question, this is the president taking control of his White House and recasting it in his own image for better right, or for worse. Right, because Priebus, Ryan's Priebus, let's remind people, he was the head of the Republican National Committee during the election season, and was not a Trump person, was not, right. and then he sparred somewhat during the campaign, right? That's right, yeah. Priebus tried to get him to change, you know, his rhetoric, his ways, um, 
to varying degrees of success. There were weeks here and there on the campaign trail where, where Trump did tone it down a little bit. But, you know, when Trump looks at Priebus, he sees the Republican establishment. He sees the swamp. Right. And he brought in Priebus thinking, well, he can be my liaison to that establishment up on Capitol Hill, which right. hasn't been working so well. Has not gone very well at all. So I think, yeah, that's what we're seeing here. And we're, who's Scaramucci? I mean, how did he get in this orbit? Scaramucci got into Trump's orbit you know, at some point during um, kind of the Republican primary season, he had endorsed uh, other candidates along the way. The best we can tell, you know, they kind of ran in some of the same circles. He's a he's a Wall Street guy and a New York guy, as I'm sure everyone is is familiar by now. But um, Trump was very has been very impressed with his performances on cable news, and this president really defending Donald Trump. Defending Donald Trump, and even before, just was just kind of like the mooch that persona that that he had. Um, he hosted a show on Fox Business. We know the the president watches all the a lot of those shows. The best any of us can tell, he just reminds Trump of Trump, and that's the kind of guy he wants. That's the kind of presidency he wants: is is fight back, push back, scorched earth. Mm-hmm. And Scaramucci is planning to clean house, or so he says, and. Right. So Bring in further Trump acolyte. So he says. Um, so far, one press aide, um, Michael Short, who uh, Mr. Donnelly here probably uh, had as much communication with as I did. He he had the the Defense Department, State Department portfolio, some other things in the White House press shop. Uh, Priebus loyalist. I quit the Trump campaign last year. Was was hired then to work in the White House. It, that it wasn't a stretch that if someone was going to go, it was going to be Mr. Short, but he hasn't fired anyone else. Despite all all the talk for you know over a week now, everyone still has a job except Short. And Trump has also been criticizing Jeff Sessions, the former Alabama senator who he chose as Attorney General. Sessions was his biggest proponent in the Congress during the campaign season, but Trump doesn't isn't happy with his performance. Is Jeff Sessions still going to have a job a week hence? No one knows. The one one man knows for sure, and that is the the guy who sits behind the resolute desk. And you know, best anyone can tell, he hasn't made a decision. Um, he is very upset, even though he didn't go public with his frustration that Sessions in in March, shortly after uh, taking taking over as AG, recused himself from the Russia investigation due to some contacts he had with um, with the then uh, Russian ambassador to the U.S. And, and and other things. Uh, but Sessions did, Sessions actually, if you read the, the DOJ uh, rules, guidance, he, he did what he was, what the guidance told him to do. He he, he had to step aside from the Russian investigation. Republicans in Congress are standing by Jeff Sessions. Absolutely. Um, he is one of them. It's, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the NATO charter, an attack on one is an attack on all. And they they invoked their own Article Five this week, and they came out very aggressively. Folks like Lindsey Graham and others uh, standing behind Jeff Sessions, um, and to get to Sessions, to move Sessions out of the way, and here's where the Richard Nixon Nixon comparisons come in. You have if if Sessions won't fire Special Counsel Bob Mueller, who's leading the Justice Department's Russia investigation. Then you have to move Sessions out of the way and and either install someone who will potentially fire Mueller or um, just keep putting people until you find someone in in a high enough position in the Justice Department who will do it for you. And Lindsey Graham this week said if Trump does that, 
He's the senator from South Carolina, Republican right. senator. Right. If, if Trump makes a move on Mueller, it could be the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency. So big conflict between Republicans in Congress and the Trump administration on that issue. And also on the issue of transgendered people serving in the military, John Donnelly, President Trump tweeted about that, saying he was banning such people from service earlier this week. And it didn't go over well among Republicans on the Hill. What were they saying? Well, uh, almost all Democrats criticized it, and uh, I, I, most Republicans were silent on it. But there were a handful that spoke out: um, uh, Orrin Hatch, Joni Her, Joni Ernst, excuse me, uh, Richard Shelby, uh, and most importantly, John, all Republican all, senators. Yeah, all Republican senators, and most importantly, John McCain, chairman of the uh, Armed Services Committee in the Senate. Uh, who issued a really strong statement opposing the substance of what the president said and also the idea that he would that he would roll out such a major policy change via tweet. And it was surprising because people like Orrin Hatch, he represents Utah, a very socially conservative state, not normally thought of as sympathetic to transgendered people, or Richard Shelby from Alabama standing up for transgendered people. Yeah, and I would I would also point out that uh, Donald Trump <laughs> himself had been sort of an advocate of LGBT people. You know, remember his acceptance speech at the Republican convention, he actually tipped his hat to them. So it was a it was a departure from what we had seen from him. It was really out of the blue. But the prelude to his tweet was a vote earlier this month in the House, in which the House voted down an amendment by Vicki Hartzler, a member from Missouri, to bar the Defense Department from spending any money on gender reassignment surgery. And enough Republicans voted against that that it failed, which really annoyed the socially conservative right advocacy groups. Right. And that was the defense authorization bill, the policy measure. This week, the defense spending measure and a couple of other security-related spending bills were on the House floor, and those social conservatives were trying again. Uh, and it wasn't just Hartzler. Louis Gohmert was a big advocate also. They, were, they wanted to, to try one more time. They thought they could succeed this time. But there was concern that, that this effort could complicate and even scuttle the spending package, which, oh, by the way, contained a little over a billion dollars to start building the border wall uh, on the Mexican border. You remember the one that the Mexicans were going to pay for? Um, <laughs> Donald Trump's big campaign promise. Right. So apparently there's some reporting indicated that that these social conservatives were looking for some help from the administration on this issue, hoping perhaps that the Pentagon could administratively uh, ban spending health care money on such services. Trump apparently went beyond uh, just addressing the health care issue and decided to ban uh, all transgender service personnel entirely. Well, it seems that the social conservatives have been his biggest allies, and he apparently has their back. But someone who didn't have his back was Joe Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who issued a memo after Trump's tweet saying that he wasn't going to implement it yet and that he wanted to treat all of our personnel with respect, which was pretty pointed language. Is he disobeying an order from the president? No, he's not, because there isn't an order from the president. All we have is a tweet, and this is a this is a widely misunderstood aspect of this. A tweet is not a policy. You have to have some kind of order, some something in writing, something that he signs that sets this in motion. We do not have that yet, and so Dunford had to say something about the issue. So he 
said, I haven't gotten an order, which makes perfect sense. But you're right. His, his mention of treating people with respect was a little bit of a statement. He didn't have to say that. Maybe, on the other hand, you've got people in service, thousands of people who are transgender individuals who you know, wondering what the heck is going on, and their comrades in arms. Right. The estimate is up to 6,000 people. Well, 11,000 if you count the National Guard and Reserves by, by the RAND, uh, RAND estimate. So, yeah, this is not uh, an order. This is just a tweet. And so we, and by the way, you know, I think it's within the realm of possibility that this doesn't go through, that Trump reconsiders it. It's possible. All he's done is tweet something. If Trump carries through on this, he will have to issue an executive order. When he does that or if he does that, number one, there will be guaranteed court battles. Number two, given the bipartisan opposition to what he's doing in Congress, I would not be surprised if Congress blocks him or overturns what he tries to do. And the other point of conflict that's on the horizon is over this Russia sanctions bill, which Congress, both the House and Senate, just passed. It's awaiting Donald Trump's signature. He's suggesting he's not going to sign it. What's the controversy? Well, we don't know if he'll sign it or not. Um, it's The controversy is the question of whether Donald Trump wants to have sanctions on Russia or not. He's wanted to have friendlier relations. This comes in the context of, of concerns that he may be uh, in cahoots somehow with uh, Vladimir Putin. And so we don't know yet whether he signed it. They had a, the White House had a perplexing comment uh, this week that maybe they want to do even tougher sanctions. Well, number one, why hadn't we heard about that previously? And number two, okay, do tougher sanctions, enact this, and then add some additional ones later. That is not an explanation for why you would veto it and, or, or sign it for that matter. And if he does veto it, there's more than a veto-proof majority in Congress. Back to you, John Bennett. I think it's important to note that, that and, and John's exactly right, just a kind of a, an out-of-the-blue statement about tougher sanctions. You're right, he could just sign this. He could do it. The executive branch has authority to do even more sanctions. He could get with European allies. He could get back with lawmakers. But that comment came from Anthony Scaramucci after he talked directly with the president, after the president was watching cable news in the morning, and he was being questioned. It's six months into this, plus the campaign. It's I think we have a pretty good personality sketch here. Trump doesn't want to be told he has to sign this. And he's watching cable news, and they're having experts on, they're having lawmakers on, and that's how they're portraying it. Like, we're forcing this president to be tougher on Russia, as John said, in the context of the investigation, allegations that he's colluding with Vladimir Putin. So I read the Scaramucci comment via Scaramucci from the president, that he's trying to create a new narrative. And they, the White House does this all the time. The president does this all the time. Kind of create a new narrative in which he appears to be standing up to lawmakers. Um, and then in you have to go inside this new narrative, I think, to understand it. Um, uh, 2017, that's where we are. But it's almost as if the new narrative is... It was all my decision. So I'm not being forced to do this. You can't force me to do anything. I'm a New York guy. I'm a tough guy. And now I've got my muscle. Anthony Scaramucci is here. Um, this was all my decision to do this. I'm getting tougher on Russia, not Congress. So all this tension between the Republicans in Congress and Donald Trump on 
Attorney General Jeff Sessions, on transgendered people in the military, on sanctions. Is this relationship breaking down, John? I think we are seeing cracks in this, um, lack of a better term, this maybe facade of Republican unity. Um, definitely this this forced marriage of Republicans and Donald Trump, who not so long ago was not a Republican. It's important to always remember that. I had a couple conversations late this week with some Republican senators who acknowledged to me that they are they've lost patience. And they said, I, I asked the question, are you losing? And a couple of these uh, Republican senators told me they have lost patience with the chaos, with the tweeting, with the, you know, the president not really being involved in, in publicly selling the Senate health care bill, things like that. This and it, it adds up. It's no one thing the president of the White House is doing or not doing. It's a combination of things. And they they are losing patience. Uh, the Lindsey Graham comments about, you know, uh, taking out sessions and going after Mueller. I mean, I, I read that as as really a turning point in the relationship. Um, other comments from Republicans along the way. Paul Ryan, it, it kind of got lost. He did a, a local radio interview early this week, and he voiced some frustration that every time he turns on the television, it's tweet this and tweet that and chaos at the White House. And it's definitely not helpful. The, the, the frustrating thing for House members is, it's Russia this, it's Russia that, it's tweet this, tweet that. It's wall-to-wall coverage and countdown clocks of what I would call distracting issues and not the issues we're actually focused and working on. Republican lawmakers will tell you, especially if you give them a little anonymity, they'll, they'll admit. So, yes, I think that we could be seeing the beginning of this falling apart. So Republicans this year were hoping to get a lot done, given their unified control of the government. But you had John McCain, after his diagnosis with brain cancer, come back this week and give a dramatic speech on the Senate floor in which he urged his colleagues to reach across the aisle to seek bipartisan solutions. And then he basically forced them in that direction on July 28th by voting against the health care bill and sinking it. So might we see more bipartisanship, John? Well, this at least cracks the window. It it. it it makes it possible, especially on, on health care now, um, you know, experts, lawmakers in both parties agree that, that, that the Affordable Care Act does have problems. It needs some fixes. Not all of it, parts of the law you need to get, you know, more uh, insurance providers in more marketplaces. Uh, and that's a big problem. And there are other problems. Democrats acknowledge that. President Obama acknowledged before he left office, uh, that the law had some flaws. So there's a there's an opportunity here, uh, some kind of tax reform push that apparently is, is going to get started in earnest after the August recess. The president himself has said he wants Democrats to play a role in that and bring their ideas to the table. So yeah, there's a window here, but Mr. Donnelly and I have been at this a long time in, in Washington. We've watched kind of the bipartisanship just just wither away until I see some actual hard evidence, and I mean legislation, in my inbox. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't really see where it, it grows out of, even though there's a lot of talk. You know, the minority leader Chuck Schumer today is, is talking about this could be a turning point. But, you know, I think they have to show us all that they remember how to do that and that they're not going to be thinking about their donors 
or you know pleasing one part of their base or getting primaried. That's a big problem. And if they're thinking about that, I don't know how they look across the table and start cutting deals. Okay. What do you think, John? Turning point? I doubt it. I just look back at all the different times since the, uh, Trump's r- ran for office where we thought, you know, the Republicans will finally turn against him on on this one. Uh, and they and they haven't. Yeah. Uh, here and there, one or two Republicans will carp about one or two issues. But I think fundamentally they are not they're not jumping ship, uh, at least in the numbers that are that would make, you know, make him unable to govern, although he's pretty close at this point anyway. The key problem in terms of not being able to compromise on Capitol Hill is gerrymandering, is the fact that these districts are now uh, uh, built in such a way that they're either all Republican or all Democrat. And so each party's main concern is a primary challenge from their, in the case of Republicans, from their right flank, in the case of Democrats, from their left flank. And so they have a a systematic institutional incentive for preserving their jobs to not compromise. And I think as long as that remains the overriding uh, uh, dynamic, that we're not going to see any real changes. Congress departs soon for its August recess. They'll have plenty of time to talk to their constituents about how to proceed. And we'll look at it again in September when they begin again. Thank you, John Bennett. Thank you, John Donnelly, for coming on the show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me on, Sean. I'm Sean Zeller, and I thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.